0: In the Word of God is from the Gospel of Mark, uh, starting in the first chapter, uh, starting in the 14th verse. And feel free to follow along in a Bible you brought yourself or one in the pew, or just be blessed by listening. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. They went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying what business do you have with what business do we have with each other jesus of nazareth have you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god and jesus rebuked him saying be quiet and come out of him Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere, into all the surrounding districts of Galilee. Father God, I'm thankful that your kingdom and your salvation are available to any person, whoever and wherever they are, who respond to the call of Jesus by repenting of sin and believing in him and the gospel of salvation. Help us to be like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and to be faithful followers of you, especially today in a country and a world that needs to see and hear your gospel in us. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of your holy word, and the preaching of the same. Uh, I thank you for Pastor Steve. Uh, he loves us, he loves your word, and he loves you. I pray that you'd put in his mind and in his heart what you'd have him teach us. And, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear and take to heart the lesson you'd give us today. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. Good to see you, all of you here on this Lord's Day. Glad that you can be with us. I remember a story. Oh, it was about 60 years ago. Um, fourth grade, fifth grade, someplace in there. But I received a gift for Christmas and it was a really, really nice chemistry set. It had all these chemicals and all these little powders, and I could do all these different experiments. But you know what happened? It was way beyond me. It was probably more for, for kids three, four years old or something like that. And I never made use of it. Never really did. This really, really nice chemistry set. And so really that's sort of the theme today, to make use of the gospel The gifts that God has given us. We're going through the Gospel of John. It's a book that's loaded with many truths. Truths about the Gospel message, truths that God wants us to know and believe and apply to our lives. So let's let's continue on. This again, this is the third part here in this Gospel of John. There's so much, it's so rich. Turn to John chapter six. Number of verses I want to read, then I'll just make some comments about them. John chapter six, verse thirty-two. John six thirty two 32 says, Tru- Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that every one who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. And then verses 43 And and continuing, Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. And truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Loaded with different truths that are very, very important. I just want to go over these. There's a lot we're going to cover today. All very encouraging and needful for our lives. But what do we learn about the gospel from these verses? First, we learn that God the Father gives the bread of life to the world. That is, this bread of life is a gift. And a gift means you don't earn it, you can't work for it, you don't deserve it. It's a gift from God to people. Secondly, the bread of life is called the bread of God. Bread of God, sort of like the manna from heaven back in the times of the Old Testament when the Jews are out in the wilderness there for those 40 years. It's the bread of God. It's not the bread of man. And this is supernatural bread. This is spiritual bread. This is special bread. This is heavenly bread. Thirdly, the Father gives us bread to us through Jesus his Son, for Jesus is the bread of life. And it's through Jesus then, only through Jesus that we then can have this bread of life. Fourth, we must understand there are two primary blessings of believing in Christ first one is that we are forgiven of our sins, that, that God takes away our sin and also the result of our sin, with, uh, which is death. But also then that he gives us eternal life. He gives us all these blessings. We have all these good things that God gives us now and forever. It's the it's simple example. Is, let's say you're in debt a, a, a million dollars. and Somebody comes and takes away your debt, pays your debt. Man, you're back to zero. This is great. Then they also give you a million dollars. See, that's what we're saying. Your sins are taken away, and God has blessed you with so much. And again, that's the primary theme of this message today, is to see how much God has blessed you with. Next, Jesus used the word bread to illustrate this blessing. Back then, bread was the most basic, the most common, the most necessary food for people. It's sort of like the Spanish people. Their most common food is what? It's rice, okay? (laughs) I remember back at my grandma's. This is back in the mid '60s. We'd go there during the summertime, and she made this wonderful bread. It was we'd have bread for breakfast, and we had bread for lunch, and we had bread for supper. And when we had our big get-togethers and Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, all the relatives were there, about thirty of us or so, and there'd be fighting over her bread. It was really good bread. But anyway, so we understand the importance of bread. Just as physical bread, I'm talking about good physical bread, not the cheap. You know, bread, you know what I'm talking about, that white stuff. It, good good physical bread is nutritious. It's satisfying, and it, it meets many of our physical needs. What we're saying here in a similar way is that bread of life meets all our spiritual needs. That's what I'm saying. It meets all our spiritual needs. Jesus meets your needs. He's the bread of life, and he satisfies your spiritual hunger as, as people. We have this spiritual hunger God, through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, is one who satisfies your soul. So important, we understand, and only Christ can do that. Next, God the Father chooses who gets saved, who believes, and those who then who believe are are a gift from God the Father to the Son. This is an amazing thing. God decided way back, this is talked about in John 17 as well, way back in eternity past, to give a gift to his son. And this is the bride, and this is ones who are believers. All of you here are believers, are a gift from God to the son. And we are, and this is important to think this way, we are special to Lord Jesus because we are his bride, and we are greatly, lo- greatly loved by him. Next is the ones the Father gives to Jesus, comes to Jesus. That be- that's because the Father draws them to Jesus. God works in their heart, enabling them to come to Jesus and enabling them to be saved. This verse in John 6, 35, I'll read again. It says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Those who come to Jesus believe in Jesus. And a person who comes to Jesus is not coming to anyone else to be forgiven, to be saved. he's, He's coming to Jesus and Jesus alone, and he then believes in Jesus, this one person And then he is saved. Those who come to Jesus then are not turned away by Jesus. They are welcomed by Jesus, embraced by Jesus. Again, all those who come to him and believe in him are forgiven and receive eternal life. Once people believe, they're saved. They receive eternal life, and they're never, ever cast out. That's because God, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, keeps them saved They can't lose their salvation. They're always saved. Once saved, always saved. You've heard that that is the truth for the person who believes in Christ. People who believe are spiritually saved. And he says there, and will be raised up on the last day. It means two things. Spiritually saved is what happened to you when you were born again. That, that point in time when you believed in Christ, you were justified, you were forgiven of your sins at that time. Then it says be raised up on the last day. The last day is referring to that time when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. It's called the day of Christ. At that time then, we will be physically safe, meaning then that we will get brand new bodies. So he sums it up very clearly there. Ones who are are, are, are spiritually saved, also then physically saved. And again, we see the simplicity of the gospel. Simplicity of it, that ble- believing in Christ, you're saved, you receive eternal life, you're given the bread of life. It is so simple. John 6 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. It's not complex, not difficult. Some religions are very complex. Christianity is simple, it's believing in Christ. It speaks of eating the flesh of Jesus, and we didn't go on to read the next portion in John, but drinking his blood. Eating the flesh and drinking his blood, and oftentimes back in those days, those early days of Christianity, they were persecuted because they thought, what kind of religion is this? You know, this is cannibalism. They actually talked about it that way. These Christians are cannibalists. They're eating flesh and they're drinking blood. These are metaphors. These are metaphors, meaning that we're to fully believe in Christ, we're to fully embrace Christ, we're to we're to partake of Christ. So when you have a piece of bread, let's say you're let's say you're eating a meal, but you you don't just eat one or two bites, you eat the whole thing, right? That's what I do. That's the way I was raised. You eat everything on your plate, and so too with Christ. Then we are to partake of all of Him, all who He is. And all then that he does for us. And, and just like physical food, and I don't understand the physiology of this, but it's an amazing thing. Just like physical food actually nourishes every cell in your body. Every cell in your body needs food. and goes digested, and then through the blood system, it's carried all over. It's an amazing thing. So too, the spiritual food that we are talking about is that which nourishes every aspect, is to nourish every aspect, every part of your spiritual life, your Christian life as well. This is encouraging. I like these verses here, how they sit, different way to say it, but the same truth. 2 Peter 1.4, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We talk about eating of Jesus, of partaking of this spiritual bread, this, this bread of life, it means then that we are partaking of the divine nature. Here as human beings, this is what he wants for us. I love that phrase. That's the truth. That's what God wants for each one of us. And so we're to come to Christ on feed and feed on him and experience eternal life. There's one thing to be saved and to receive eternal life. There's another thing to experience this life, and this, of course, is the most important life, the most wonderful relationship that you could ever, ever have. Go to John chapter 7. Some verses that are very similar to what we just looked at. John 7, 37 to 39. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Steve alluded to this, this whole thought of living water. This is what he wants to give us. That song we sang, let me just. First song, there's joy in the Lord. There's love in his spirit. There's hope in the knowledge of him. There's a fountain that flows like a river from heaven, abounding in love to my soul. That's, That's what we're talking about here. And so this is similar. Again. With this bread of life, we have this living water, and just as physical water, I mentioned physical food, just as physical water is necessary to every cell of our body, so too this, this living water is necessary for every part of our Christian life. You can only spiritually live by the, by the life of Christ. You can't live without him. That one verse, we've said this so many times here in this church, and you all know it, to live as Christ. It states so simply, to live, to really live, to spiritually live, to live like the way God wants for you is Christ. That is it. And here we're saying it, these words we're using, the living water and the bread of life. So we see then you need to come to Jesus. We're talking about come to a person. Come to the Son of God, the verse in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. You're coming to a person. And again, we see that you need to believe. In these verses here in John 7, you believe to receive eternal life, and you need to keep believing to to experience this eternal life, to be nourished by this living water, by this bread of life. It's a continual thing. It's not just a matter of I got saved one day. It's a continuation of continuing to believe, to receive this, to experience this eternal life that God wants us to have. And, of course, what we see there in John 7 is one of the keys to having this little water, living water, is the Holy Spirit. We can only experience this living water by the Holy Spirit. He's the, he's the one that enables us then to receive this living water, to experience this living water. We sometimes get so deceived by the things of the world, think that things, thinking that things of the world or things of the flesh will satisfy us. And you've all tried things. I know that. I know what I'm like. I know what we're like. We've tried things. Oh, this will make me happy. Listen, whatever. No. That first song we sang, first Line, there is joy in the world. <laughs> There's joy in the flesh. You all know that you've been there. There's joy in the Lord and only in the Lord. We understand that. That's what we're talking about here today. So you must not ever be deceived and think that the world or the flesh or anything on this planet can really satisfy you. Because it can't. It's got to be the bread of God from heaven. Let's go to John chapter 8. where really quite... Quickly, going over different themes here, we could probably spend a message on each one of these, but different truths, and we're talking again about what God wants to give you. He takes away your sin, but he also blesses you. And the Gospel of John, more than any other book, makes this super clear. John 8, verse 12, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We talk about darkness, we're talking about sin. That's what darkness means. It means evil. It means unrighteousness. And the light means holiness and purity and righteousness. So they have the light and the darkness contrasted. And you know that we live in this spiritually dark world. It says in Galatians 1 4 that we live in this evil age. Sometimes they go, oh, Can't this world be a better place? No, it's an evil place. As 1 John 5 19 said, It's run by the devil. There's a lot more evil people in this world than there are righteous people. So it is a dark place. That's the way it is. Okay, we understand that. And if you've been watching the news at all or just have your eyes and ears open and sensitive to what's going on, this world is getting more evil. I have been just shocked, really shocked these last two, three, four years. And I've said this, and I'll say it again. I really believe that like Job 1 where God, told the devil, okay, I'll have you get a little permission. You can go have at it with Job a little bit here. I believe God has said that to the devil because some of the things here are so evil, so demonic. Uh, there's no doubt about this darkness that we are now see, seeing in this world. Romans one twenty one says their foolish heart was darkened. Ecclesiastes 2.14 says the fool walks in darkness. Ephesians 4.18, unbelievers are darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God. And John 12.35 says he who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. A lot of verses on darkness. Unbelievers are spiritually blind. They can't see. They can't spiritually see. They think they can, but they can't. They can't. And, and and this is very sad because you think about all these people in the world here who are unbelievers, and you know some. You know people who are unbelievers. And they think they're all right. They think they can see, but you know what? They're blind. They are spiritually blind. And they're deceived. They don't think they're deceived. They think they know what's going on. They think they're right, but they're wrong, and they're blind. And it's, it's so sad. John 3. Turn back there. We looked at these a few weeks ago, but... It's relevant for this time here. John three nineteen to twenty one. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the light, practices the truth, comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. And so we understand here. That, that, that there's these people out there that are evildoers. And in general, you might think for a second, well, why don't people love the light? you think they'd want to spiritually see, but they don't. And, and it tells us really clear why they don't. Because what? They love the darkness. They love their sin. Their sin gives them this momentary bit of pleasure or happiness, however you want to call it. They love their sin. And with that, then, they hate the light and they hate Jesus Christ. We see this graphically displayed with the Pharisees back throughout the, the Gospels. You see this all the time. They did not like Jesus. They hated Jesus because he was exposing their sin. He was telling them that you guys are wrong and you're leading people on the wrong path. And Of course, we know what they wanted to do and then eventually did do. They killed him. He says, we're going to kill this person because we don't like this person. Of course, we understand that God had ordained that and their physical killing of him, they thought, that'll do it. Oh, he's, you know, they buried him there. He's buried on Friday and the grave Sunday and they're probably all happy and celebrating the Passover then, you know, that Sabbath day and then Sunday, things change. God ordained that these Pharisees and others, Romans and Jews with them, would have Jesus killed for our sake so that our sins then would be paid for. It was not just a physical thing, it was a spiritual act that took place, an incredible, the most important spiritual act that was ever, ever, ever taken. And so, Go back a few more chapters and some more verses. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. John 1. A lot of verses on light and darkness. I'm just looking at a few here. John 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see the equating. We're not going to go into it deeply here, but the equating of the light and the life. Jesus is the life. He is also the light. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That comprehend is probably not the best word to use here in terms of the translation, but here's the question. What was Jesus' purpose when he came into the world? I mean, lots of different things, but one particularly related to this context. He wanted to defeat the darkness, right? He was the light. He wanted to defeat the darkness. He wanted to overcome the darkness, and what it says here is that, that the world... People in the world, sinful people, could not overcome the darkness. That is they they, they or as it says here, comprehend they couldn't overcome it. That's the better translation. They couldn't defeat it. They couldn't destroy it. They they tried, they wanted to get rid of this Jesus. We don't like this Jesus. We hate this Jesus. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. That is light always wins. The simplest example is this. You've done this hundreds of times in your life. You walk into a room, you turn on the light switch, right? What happens? Light always wins. You've done that, right? You flip it up, there, yeah, light, you can see. You know, if you're out there sometime, whether it's in the beach or someplace, and you're watching the sun come up, you know, this is more of a slow thing than that immediate light switch filling the room with light. But, you know, there comes the sun, and, and the sun dispels the darkness of the night. And that's what we're talking about here. That's, that's the whole thing is, is Christ came then to defeat this darkness. Turn to Matthew. I, I like this little example here. Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Matthew four fourteen. This was to fulfill what was written, spoken through Isaiah the prophet: the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. I, I love that picture. It was a dark place, and people were dark because of their sin, and here comes the light. And You think about this. Here's Jesus. Every place he went, he was the light. He was the light, and he was lighting up the dark world. He was sharing the truth of of God's mercy and grace through himself, and people then who experienced Christ's victory on the cross when they repent of their sins and believe in christ in the light that's what we're talking about here so people then who do this who believe in christ who believe later are no longer then children of darkness There's different verses that talk about not being a child of the dark but a child of the light ephesians 5 refers to that we're children of the light we are children of god we're holy and pure in god's sight in fact let's go to ephesians 5 more verses on darkness and light ephesians chapter 5 in verses 6 to 11, says, Therefore do not, well, 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Encouraging verses here. Encouraging because now it says you are not darkness. As a believer, this is one way to describe, you describe yourself. You're not darkness, but you are light in the Lord, and your light because the light, Christ himself, took away your Darkness, your sins. And so you're bearing fruit. And I like what it says here in that one verse. You're doing what is good. You're doing what is right. You're doing what is true. So when you think about your life and how you want to live, I want to do what is good. I want to do what is right. I want to do what is true. Those three words really are helpful in helping us to navigate this life and again be children of God or doing what He wants. Not only that, but you're exposing evil. By your light, by your actions and words, you're exposing the sins and the lives of others, and you probably don't even realize this happens, but sometimes when you are with unbelievers, sometimes you make them feel guilty, and it's because they probably are guilty, okay? That happens more than you realize, more than you realize. You're going along and, and you know, and maybe at a workplace, and you're not grumbling like most of the workers are. You're not complaining about something, because that's the norm in the work world, you know? upset about this or not happy about this you got joy and they don't have any joy you understand that turn to second corinthians I, I like these verses second corinthians chapter 2 again helps us to see who we are and the effect we have on people second corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 thanks be to god who always leads us in triumph in christ That's a good promise, isn't it? Always leads us, always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And that would also say that if you're meeting up with somebody and maybe they're not saved, but... They like you, and they like who you are. Maybe God is using your testimony your life to lead them to salvation. So you're an aroma. To so the one aroma from death to death, verse 16, to the other aroma from life to life, and who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So remember who you are. That's are light. And as you go places, and by your actions, by your conduct, by your character, and by your words, you can light up the place. Next, we go to John, back to John 8. Another theme, John 8, verse 31 to 36, familiar verses, I'm sure, to most of you here Verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever." No, the sun does remain forever, so if the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. We have this great verse, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You've heard of this probably most of your life. It's not talking about free to do whatever you want to do. We understand, I've talked about this before here in political terminology, I have people called libertarians. I'm at liberty to do whatever I want to do, whatever I feel like I could do, as long as it doesn't hurt me or hurt somebody else, as long as it's not against the laws. And of course, it may be sinful and it may be evil, but they do it. And, and the problem here is these is people like this are thinking on a human level. Just because man says you can do something doesn't mean God says you can do it. That's the thing. They just say, well, I can do it. I'm free to do this. I can do whatever I want. But they don't understand. They don't understand that the ways of God are infinitely higher and infinitely more holy than the ways of man. There's one document that's very famous in our country. I want to just read a line from it, but really, I think helps us to see part of the problems we have and the encouragement of these problems in our world. From the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, nice words. How do we get life? Not through the world. Not through the quote so-called freedoms in this country. Only through Christ. Life, liberty. Hey, I can do what I want. Freedom to do whatever I want in this country. Man, I was oppressed. I can do whatever I want here. We encourage freedoms in this country to do whatever you want, don't we? There's a lot of sin. A lot of sin. Just let them do what they want. And the pursuit of happiness. What was the first line of that first song? There is happiness in the Lord. Not quite. There is joy in the Lord. So, so even there we see this has been a problem. It's, it's really affected us, and, and we as, as Christians can be, oh, yeah, I'm free to do whatever I want. We must not be duped by what the world says, even in this country, the United States of America. Life, liberty, and joy is really found only in the Lord. That is the truth. Now, people who sin then, it says this here, are slaves to sin. Sin is their master. Sin controls them. The verse. I love this verse. This is Proverbs 5.22. It says sinners, sinners will be held with the cords of their sin. Imagine somebody, and he's all tied up in knots. I mean, lots of knots on his feet and on his arms and on his legs. He can't move. That's what sin does to you. Or you might use the example of a straitjacket. A straitjacket around the, your upper part of your body. You just can't move. People don't think that. They they, they think oh, I'm doing what I want to do. No, you're trapped, you're held, you're controlled by your sin. That's that's what we have to see here. That's what we have to understand. Their sin may be eating too much food. It may be watching too much TV. It may be they're addicted to liquor it may be they're addicted to their smartphone. It may be the sin of fear or the sin of anger or the sin of, of laziness. All these different kinds of sin. Maybe the sin of the love of money that controls them, that is their master. So many, and even us as Christians and, and, and God wants us to get victory, and we can be at times controlled by different sinful things in this world, and God doesn't want that. But Christ is the answer. The only way to be set free from sin from the cords of sin, from this prison of sin is the truth. A of the gospel, specifically the truth of Christ that we're talking about who He is and what He has done for us that then frees us from all our sins. He, he died on the cross. And by his death on the cross, he defeated sin. He rose from the dead. By rising from the dead, he defeated death. By his death and resurrection, he defeats sin and death. That's what he did. And those who repent of their sins are not just forgiven of their sins, but are then free from their sin. And part of the Christian life, then, is learning how to walk in freedom. This week, this is what God wants. Free from sin and free to do whatever you want. Nope. Free to do what is right, what God wants you to do. That's that's what we're talking about here. As Christians, we're not to be slaves to sin, but slaves of God. Slaves of God, which means God is our master and and we are obeying him. We're we're to be slaves of righteousness, not doing what is wrong, but doing what is right. Turn to Romans chapter 6. It it explains this, is is really as good as any verses. Romans 6, verses 14 to 18. Romans 6, 14 to 18. It's probably one of the best chapters in the Bible about getting victory over sin as a Christian. Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. It's a very practical verse, these verses, for your life this week. Very practical. God Help me. Help us to be free from sin and be doing then what you want us to do. That's what he has for all of us. Let's continue on in John. Back to John. Go to John 10. Again, we're focused today is not on what God takes away, but what he gives us. That's what we're talking about, and there's so many. This gospel is rich, more than any other gospel, more than any other book. I believe in what God gives us. We read here in verse 7 7 to 18. I'm just going to read it all. Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door if anyone enters through me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy i came that they may have life and have it to the abundantly i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them He flees because he is a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice. They'll become one flock with one shepherd. And for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one else, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Many things here. First, Jesus is there's there's different analogies here, and you have to understand them. But first is Jesus is the door of salvation. That is that is, he's saying that the way to be saved is to spiritually enter through Christ. It's like it's like you have a big house, and it's got, let's say, 20 different doors on the outside, and they're all locked but one. And that's the, that's the door you got to get in to get in that house. And same with Christ. It's, he's the only way for, to be saved is through Him. Only means. Secondly, He lays down His life. This is referring to His death on the cross, that Jesus willingly laid down His life for us. He wanted to die for us, He was motivated to die for us. It was His love. We know the verse for, for God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But you could also say, for Christ demonstrates His own love. God would include Christ in that whole thought. There, next, throughout history, we see there'll be false teachers. They're called thieves and robbers. They're saying a lot of things. I'm just going to mention four briefly. What do these thieves and robbers say? What is their false teaching? Their false gospel. First, they would say that you don't need to be saved, like First John one. 8. they don't believe in sin. There's a whole lot of people in the world don't believe there's any sin. They don't believe in sin, so you don't need salvation. Therefore, you don't need Christ. Or they might say this. They say Christ is not the answer. He's not the way to salvation. There's something else they're saying, but it's not Christ. Or they might say that Christ is not the only way. Oh, he's one way, but there's other ways. Oh, yeah, you can have your religion. That's fine, but I like my religion, whatever that religion might be, and there's a whole lot in this world, you see? So not the only way. Or they might say this. Well, it's Jesus plus other stuff, and particularly good works. Jesus plus good works. And, and, and it, when you talk about the Catholic Church, that's the way the Catholic Church thinks. I know, I was raised as a Catholic. And that's the way many Protestant churches in this country think. They talk about Jesus. They talk about Jesus. You go there, but they also say you got to do good works. So a whole lot of churches. That number four, Jesus plus good works. But we know the verse, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's John chapter 14, verse 6. We continue on. Those who are saved have life and have it abundantly. This is, this is an important one because sometimes I think, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. Is, is my life abundant? And a lot of days it doesn't feel like it. And, but sometimes it's a matter of it's not the kind of life that we envision. Because if we think life's going to be the way the world defines it, we are off track. It's the way that God defines it that has given us joy and peace in the midst of a difficult trial, for example, or given us grace to, to, to work for him and, and the peace, all these things. That's this abundant life. So the point is God wants what God wants us to give us is not some small, insignificant, meager life, but a life that is a great life, a full life, a rich life, an overflowing life. That's what he wants. That's what he has for us. Turn, turn to Psalm. I don't have this in my notes, but I just thought of it. Psalm 36. I've I've referenced this before, I'm sure. Psalm 36. Verses 7 to 10. 36, 7 to 10. How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For you, with you, is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light will continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. A great verse about how God wants to just really bless us. And it's learning to go to him and say, Lord, I don't want the world. I don't want sinful things. I, I want you. I want you. It's, it's, it's by God helping you to say no to sin and turn to him, and then you'll see this abundant life. It really, that's, that's a huge part of it, It's learning to be holy, saying no to sin, say no to, saying yes to God and what's right, and then God will bless you with this. One of the most important results of salvation talked about in these verses here is that, that God and Christ, they know us. And this word know is the idea of not head knowledge but heart knowledge. It, it's the idea of, of a, a relationship with them. And so you have to the, understand, we have, talk about relationships a lot in this world. We're talking about your relationship with God. And I, I could ask you, and I will ask you, how's your relationship with God going? I mean, this may be the most important question this morning. How is your relationship with God doing? How is it doing? And we see there in these verses where Jesus says, I know my own, I know my sheep, and he wants us to know him. That's what he wants, you see, to know, to have this relationship, to have this abundant life, because that's what it is. And of course, you understand, too, that that God initiates with you. Sometimes you don't sense it or feel it. Oh, man, I wish I could see something. God, show me something. He doesn 't do it that way. He, he initiates with us through his spirit in us, that happens. He initiates with us through His word that happens. He initiates with us through the relationships with other people. because the Bible says we're to be encouraging one another. So he does it in different ways, but realize that he wants you to have this close relationship with him. Next, we see that Jesus is the good shepherd. Result of our being saved is that that Jesus is our shepherd. That means he is concerned about us. He cares for you much, much, much more than you could ever realize. And so many times you go through, man, life is hard, Lord, I guess you don't care. You may not say that back to him, but that's how you feel, and that's sort of your spirit sort of grumbling. Come on, God, make this a little bit easier. You don't care for me now. I don't like this trial. I've said that. I shouldn't say it. I should trust God. He cares for us. He concerned for us. He protects us from all evil. And he makes sure that all our spiritual needs are met. You all know the verse, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Four parts of that verse are very important. First, the Lord, the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus, God Almighty, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is. Is is what tense? Present tense. Right now, right now, at this very second, he is your shepherd. tomorrow the same time he'll be a shepherd then present tense always think present we can tend to think past and future too much and not that you shouldn't think about the past sometimes the future sometimes think present the lord is my my means what personal individual it's you and him it's him and you the lord is my shepherd shepherd is again we just mentioned a few things it's loaded word in terms of the truth of how God wants to care for you. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And then the rest of the chapter is phenomenal. Next, Jesus talking about other sheep. This is referring to Gentiles who will be saved. I think you know this back in that first century Gentiles and Jews did not get along. They did not get along. They hated each other. They hated each other. There's animosity. But through the gospel, he's saying, Hey, I'm going to save some Gentiles here, and you guys are all going to be one. It says this, it says, He Himself, Ephesians 2, He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, Gentiles and Jews, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall so that He might make these two into one. That's what He's doing. So that's, and that's wonderful. You understand that. It's a simple truth. And I think in our culture, you know, hey, there's all kinds of people here. All kinds of races, all kinds of colors and backgrounds, diversity, and we're all one. I mean, I, I, I think of being in heaven. Again, I don't, I don't know what, what people look like glorified from a different race. I, I, I don't know if we're all going to be I don't know. I don't know. But we're all going to get along real good. That's all I want to say here. We're one because of what the Lord does for us. Next, we not only know Christ, but we follow him, it says there. These are good. That's a good point. We're his followers, we're his disciples, we're to follow him. I mean, And think about this for yourself. Again, this week, today, Lord, I want to follow you today. Where are you going today? Where are you going? What do you want me to do? We should think that way. I'm his follower, and I don't care what age you are, what's your background. You're his follower as a believer in Christ, and he has places he wants you to go and things he wants you to do, and you are to follow him and realize that he is your leader. And sometimes you might like what he leads you to, sometimes you may not, but you've got to be his follower. That's all. Be his follower. Next, we can't lose our salvation. No, no one can ever take us away from God or Christ. I mentioned this before. You have eternal security. You have eternal life. No one can take away your salvation, and no one will take away your salvation. God has got you solid. Christ has got you solid. Those verses in John ten. In fact, I'll just read them here. John ten. Um. 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Isn't that wonderful? You're safe. If you're in Christ, you're safe. There's, there are many churches, it's, it's, and, and some, I believe, they teach the gospel. They say you can lose your salvation, and they're just really sad you can't. Once we're saved, we're always saved by the grace of God. It's what he does for us. If he died for all our sins, that means he died for every sin. And even the ones that say, well, this is a sin, that would cause you to backslide. No, no, no. Every sin is taken care of by Christ for us. Next, John 11, the last passage we'll look at here briefly. John eleven twenty-five and 26. This chapter is about... Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, but he talks here to Martha and also talks to Mary. But Martha, first here, John 11:25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's the resurrection and the life, and that means that he defeats these verses, both spiritual death and physical death, similar to those verses I read before about how he will raise us up, those who are saved on the last day result of being saved, we defeat spiritual death. This happened when we were born again, when we were justified. Now we are spiritually alive. I like this because sometimes you don't feel spiritually alive, do you? We are spiritually alive because we have the life of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. Second, we also defeat physical death. That is, we don't need to worry about physically dying because Christ already died and then rose again. And so, So, when you, if you, and and there's, I I don't know where things are. I don't know the timing of Christ. I don't know any of this stuff. But there's a good chance that some of you here, maybe more of you than not, will physically die. Okay? Don't need to worry about physically dying. In fact, as Paul said, man, to live as Christ to die is gain. I'm looking forward to it, and I am. I personally am. You should look forward to it. Most people in the world, of course, the unbelievers, they don't look, they don't know what's gonna happen. So look forward to it. To live as Christ to die is gain. When you physically die at that point in time, you keep spiritually living. You're spiritually living now as a Christian, but you keep your spiritual life, but you're not yet physically raised from the dead. Okay, that happens on that last day. That's what we're talking. He's the resurrection and the life. Saves us spiritually and saves us physically again. It's when Christ comes back at the return of Christ at that point in time. This is first Thessalonians chapter four. 16 and 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20, 22, 1 and 2. At that time, then, we'll be given a new body. Brand new body. Wonderful. This is really good. I mean, I was, I was thinking about this. I was watching a podcast yesterday about artificial intelligence, and there's two main thoughts here. Okay, I'll just sum this up real quick because you've got to see this. You really need to see this. Is that the one thought is this is that men are creating robots that are, and a lot of these are, are human like and they're creating robots that are to be companions for somebody. And these robots will be so smart with their artificial intelligence. They will know who you are. They will understand your feelings. And they will sense the difficulty. And they'll ask you questions. They'll be like a counselor to you. This is what's happening in the world today. Robots that are human-like but that are machines. They have no soul. This is huge. You guys don't understand. I, was, I couldn't believe it yesterday watching this podcast. Things are moving so fast in this area of artificial intelligence Robots. Robots like humans. The second thing is this. Enhanced humans. Let's put a chip in your brain so that you are not just smart. You are super smart. You're the smartest person around because this chip is connected to some other computers someplace, place, and you know everything. I say in general. That's it. But let me think about this. And I always think of that like the Tower of Babel. Sooner or later, God will tear it down. I don't know when this artificial intelligence. Because what does God say? What do we just talk about here? You're going to get a brand new body. You don't need a robot. No robots in heaven. No enhanced humans in heaven. No, just perfect bodies, glorified bodies. That's what it is. You see. So you have to see this. It's all these sad people out there just trying to put their energy. And I'm not saying that some robotics is helpful for what we want to do in life. And Helping us, you know, whether you have a robot doing your McDonald's hamburgers or whatever, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's all bad. But this thing where, hey, I'm going to create this robot and this enhanced human and, boy, this man that God made. They don't say it that way, but, hey, we're not that good. You know, God has better. What God has for us is to spiritually save us and to physically save us. That's what we're saying. That's what you need to understand. Well, we've covered a lot of important truth. We have went really quickly today over a lot of things. Again, it's what God wants to give you. We've talked about the bread of life. We've talked about living water. We've talked about, is, is Jesus being the light of the world and being the good shepherd and the resurrection of life? We talked about how he frees you from all sin, enables you to do what is right. And so this is what God has for you. And 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 I'm just sharing this spiritual food quickly, but the digestion of it and the application of it is a lifetime thing. And so you need to pray, Lord, help me to understand what it means when you say you're the bread of life or you're the living water or you're my good shepherd or you are the light of the world and now I am light, that you're the resurrection. All these are powerful truths. Again, understand this, that God has given us so much and we get deceived and, and, and as people we are still humanists and we're tempted to think something the world will satisfy, but it will not. And so we need to learn to keep coming to Jesus for the life that he wants to give us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, your truth. And as I have shared these things today, as I've been thinking about them, Lord, these last few days, I'm so far from this. But but I thank you that you're patient, you're forgiving, you're merciful, and you help us day by day to keep learning to come to you, to believe these things, to to, to experience you as the the bread and the the water and, and, and to see you then as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want but I thank you for everyone here. Thank you for those listening on. God, we just pray for continued grace and peace and make us what you want us to be. Help us to grow up and become the children of God you want us to be and use us, God. Because if we're your followers, then we're to be doing your purposes. We're to be, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. What, a, what, a, what an amazing job that we have. That we can do this sometimes we put ourselves down but help us to see who we are in you and by your word and by your spirit we can really do the work you want for your glory and you do get the glory then but thank you for everyone here we pray for your continued protection we indeed are in a spiritual battle and we need your protection we need your help every day thank you for this church use us as a church lord in the way you want thank you for Bethel and pray for them, your blessing upon them and using them. God, thank you so much for them doing the work for you. And churches really all over that are good churches in this in, in this, this state and this country. We, we bless you for the Christians. Lots of good Christians, lots of evil, but boy, there's lots of good Christians and lots of good preachers out there, and I thank you for that. And so, Lord, help us and use us, God, and protect even this country. We pray for our leaders, that you'd work for them. We're supposed to pray for those in authority, and and sometimes it's confusing, and we just trust you to help us. and. And not be caught up on the work of the world, but be caught up on the work of Christ. And I'm talking politically speaking. We can get so consumed by the affairs of the world in this country. And we must see that we need to build not the kingdoms of men, but the kingdom of God. Thank you again now for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name.